Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. So we're in Ephesians chapter 6, and tonight we're going to focus on prayer. And so let me just set a little bit of context on you know, why, why we're even talking about prayer. If you remember a week ago, we talked about uh, the armor of God. And there were three commands that, that were given to us in, in the previous chapter, you know, verses 10 through 14. And these were the commandments. In verse 10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord. So that's the first one, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Number two is to, in verse 11, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then number three in, in verse 14 is to stand. And, you know, if we go off of the end of verse 13, to stand firm, right? So we are called as believers to be strong in the Lord, to put on the armor of God and to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. But if you go to verse 18, that's where we are given the way that we are to follow these commands or the avenue that we are to, to follow in order to be able to remain strong, to be strong in the Lord. The avenue that we're to follow if we want to put on the armor of God, the avenue we have to follow if we want to stand firm against the enemy. And the two words that we are given are to pray and to watch or to be uh, uh, you know, to be alert is the what we have here in the ESV. So let's pray for God's um, for God's blessing, for God's guidance, and for Him to just speak to us through His Word. God, we thank you. We thank you for your Word. We thank you. We thank you for your grace your love. We thank you that your son Jesus has made peace with us between you and us. We thank you that we can approach you with boldness, with confidence, knowing that you hear us. And God, we pray and we ask that you would speak to us by your word. I pray, Lord, that you give me the right words to speak. And I pray that you would transform all of us this evening by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I was preparing for this message, I ran into an article written by uh, a guy named Paul Miller, and he wrote a book on prayer. And here are some of the things that he says. And, and here's a story that I want to read to you that uh, caught my attention. I think it's in the one hand, it's a little bit comical, but on the other hand, it's ultimately a sad story um, that speaks about prayer or lack of prayer in churches. So this is what it says. Um, an East Indian evangelist, so an evangelist from Eastern India, described his first experience at an American prayer meeting. He was visiting a mega church known even in India for the pastor's outstanding preaching. He was thrilled when the pastor invited the 3,000 Sunday worshipers 
to the midweek prayer meeting. The pastor even shared that something was heavy on his heart for prayer. The evangelist couldn't wait. In India, the prayer meeting was the heartbeat of the church, where you stormed the heavens, often far into the night. The designated prayer chapel seated only 500, so he arrived early to get a seat. But at the designated 7 p.m. start time, he was alone. At 7.15, puzzled and still alone, he wondered if he had the wrong location. So he went outside to check the name. Yes, it was the same chapel the pastor mentioned on Sunday. Finally, at 7.30, a few people straggled in, chatting about sports and weather until the leader arrived at 7.45. The leader shared a short devotional with the seven attendees, prayed briefly, and closed the meeting. So as you can imagine, the evangelist was stunned. No worship, no crying out to God for help, no senior pastor. What was, what was heavy on the pastor's heart? What about prayer for the sick, for the lost, right? And so, you know, he goes on to comment a little bit more, but, you know, I just thought like, wow, you know, this poor guy coming from India and just being used to like, Church is really battling and, and, and engaging in spiritual battle through prayer and then coming here and having this experience. Now, the author continues and he shares a, a study, a Barna study, and I thought this was very telling as well. It says, according to a recent Barna study, 94% of American adults who have prayed at least once in the last three months do so by themselves. Barna researches, researcher writes, prayer is by far the most common spiritual practice among, Christi among, among Americans, but people pray mostly alone. It is a solitary activity defined primarily by the immediate needs and concerns of the individual. Corporate prayer and corporate needs are less compelling drivers in people's prayer lives. But what would it look like to begin to broaden the scope of those prayer lives, to consider the power of corporate prayer when more than one are gathered in God's name. So I, I thought it was really interesting that most Christians in America pray alone. They don't pray with other people. And so the reason why I mention these things is because here we have a call to corporate prayer. Right, so these commands that we are given, the command to finally be strong in the Lord, the command that we have to put on the armor of God, the command that we have to stand firm, all of these commands are not necessarily given to the individual in the Ephesian church. I mean, of course, ultimately, you know, these commands would reach out to the individuals, but all of these commandments are given to the body as a whole. In other words, it doesn't say you, individual believer, put on the armor of God, but it says, you all, Ephesian church, put on the armor of God. And so if you think about it, it's not like each individual believer is to go and put on this little individual armor of God, but it's more like the body as a whole. Now think about it. Paul has been using the analogy of a body for the church. And so he's saying the whole body is to put the full, to put on the full armor of God. 
And so we as a church, we are called to together put on the armor of God. We are called to collectively be strengthened in the Lord. We are called to collectively as a church, as a body, we are called to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. And how do we do this? We do it through prayer and watching or being alert. So look at what verse 18 says. And, and actually, let me just, let me read verses 18 through 24. Um, and I will ask you to stand for the reading of God's word, if you are able. Verse 18 says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So how do we obey these commands? Well, in verse 18, we have the two means for obeying these commands that are given to us. How do we put on the armor of God? Well, we put on the armor of God through prayer and through watchfulness. Now, when we think about prayer here, it's interesting that Paul actually repeats the word prayer three times in, in, the, in just one verse. And then the other two words are actually uh, synonyms of, the, of, of prayer. And so basically Paul is saying, all of these prayers or, or this praying that we are to do approaching God, it has to be done in a posture of need and want. It is a plea. It is a request. It is a supplication. We are declaring our need. We are declaring our insufficiency and we are approaching God and saying, God, we do not have enough strength to fight this battle on our own. We are approaching God and saying, God, the battle is way too difficult for us and we are too weak. We need you. We need your help. You know, whatever it is, whatever, whatever, um, uh, the enemy is attacking us with or whatever trial we are facing, coming to God in prayer means coming with a posture of need, of want, of humility, right? Just recognizing that we have, that we do not have within us the, the, the solution or the answer to the problems that we are facing. And now this is interesting, right? If you think about the words that, that, we are given praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And when we realize that those words mean to have to be in a posture of need and of want, it is interesting to me that this looks nothing like some of the praying that I've heard in, in, in other churches where we are demanding things from God, right? Or where we are declaring and saying, I declare that this is going to happen and I am 
Like pretty much I'm holding God accountable to do the thing that he said he was going to do. And God, I declare that you are going to do this. But when we look at these, when we look at these verses, when we look at, at who God is and who we are, I think we need to realize that we cannot demand anything from God, that we cannot declare necessarily anything that God will do. God is sovereign. God is God and we are not. And therefore we need to approach him with humility, with a posture of need, realizing that there's absolutely nothing that we can do apart from him. But at the same time, Jesus has gained entrance for us into the throne of grace. And God, and you know, Jesus himself said, you, if you ask anything in my name, I will, you know, it will be granted. And so we approach God with fear, with trembling, with respect, knowing that he is God and we are not. But at the same time, we approach him with, uh, uh, with confidence, knowing that Jesus is already there interceding for us. I think one of the best pictures of this is your children, right? If you are not a, you know, abusive horrible parent, but you're a, you know, a good parent. Your kids just come to you freely, right? Sometimes they even interrupt you when you're in the middle of something and they come to you freely and they ask for whatever it is that they need at the time, right? Even, I mean, sometimes it's happened to me multiple times. Sometimes I've even just disciplined my kids and then two seconds later, they're, they're, over whatever the their you know whatever they were upset about and they come and they ask for something why because they have confidence they know that that we are going to listen to them and they know that you know if it's a reasonable request it will be granted to them right if they ask for water we might just go and serve them some water or you know whatever so we can approach god with confidence because he is our father now it also says that we pray at all times. We need to realize that we are on the battlefield at all times, right? It, the first time that you, maybe the first time that you hear praying at all times, you're like, well, that, that seems like a little bit too much. Like, really? Do we have to be praying at all times? But then when you start thinking, about the fact that we are behind enemy lines at all times. That the enemy is constantly attacking us and constantly against us at all times. When we understand, like we mentioned last week, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, then we need to realize that we need to pray at all times. If we truly understand that we are behind enemy lines, if we truly understand that we are under attack, if we truly understand that we are in a spiritual battle, then don't you think that prayerlessness is at best naive and at worst prideful? Right? Naive because maybe you just don't realize that you need God. And that is absolutely naive, right? Like to, to think that you can, you can live the Christian life on your own, without necessarily praying, without asking God for help, or it is prideful. It is thinking, I think I got this. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I've been doing really good this whole week. 
haven't seen this whole week, which by the way, that you already deceived yourself. And so it's probably some sense of pride of saying, I do not need God. Maybe you're not saying it consciously, but if you are not praying, if you're not coming to God, if you're not asking, begging for his mercy, for his strength, for his power, then maybe you trust too much in your own power. It also says that we are to pray at all times in the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is instrumental in our access to the Father. So, for example, if you turn back a couple of pages to Ephesians 2, verse 18, it says that for through him, and that is Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So it is through the Holy Spirit that we have access to the Father. The Holy Spirit is instrumental in our being able to approach God. Then in verse 22, chapter 2, verse 22, it says that in him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So when we pray together, when we are gathered together, we don't gather in this building because this building is somehow holier than other places on earth, right? We gather together, whether it be in this building or at the gospel communities or when we have our, our gatherings at the park or wherever it is that we gather to pray. The reason we can pray and the reason why it, the reason why we can approach God is because the Holy Spirit is in our midst. And he is the one building us into a dwelling place for God, right? The Holy Spirit is within us. And so when we are gathered in prayer, we are a holy people because God has made us holy through his son, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one granting us that access to God. There's also a... a, very beautiful passage in Romans 8, 26. Do you, do you ever feel like you don't know what to pray for or, or you don't know what words to use when you pray or how to pray? Or does it ever happen to you that you're kind of stuck maybe with like a phrase? Like it, it sometimes happens to me, like, I don't know if it's like a focus thing, but I'm trying to pray and I keep just praying over and over for the same thing. And it almost feels like I cannot move move forward. And I love this verse because it's basically saying the Holy Spirit is interpreting your prayers. The Holy Spirit is bringing your prayers to God. In Romans, Romans 8, 26, it says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray. Sorry, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So even when we do not know what to pray for, even when we feel stuck in our prayer life, even when we don't have the right words, we can still approach God. We can still pray to God knowing that the spirit is interceding for us. The spirit is it's almost like the spirit is translating our prayers into God language. 
which is amazing. And by the way, God language is not the King James Bible, right? It doesn't mean that you have to pray and say, thou, you know, our God, thou art magnificent in thy mercy. No, you don't have to pray like that. You can pray God, you, you can pray to God with your normal language, but it is amazing to know that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us and making our prayers get to God because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Then it also says that the, the second word there, so the first one is prayer. The second one is watchfulness or watching, which here in the, in the ESV is translated as keep alert, keep alert. The root for this word is actually the same one, the same one found in Matthew 26, 40, when Jesus is at the garden of Gethsemane and he asks the disciples to stay awake with him. And so when Jesus comes back, after, after, you know, praying the first time he comes back and he founds them sleeping and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And that's a word, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So when we understand that we are in the middle of a spiritual battle. When we understand that this world it lies in the power of the evil one until Jesus returns, then we are going to recognize our need for prayer and our need for watchfulness, for being alert, for being awake. I was talking to, to Sam this week and we were talking about this, this specific topic and I don't remember exactly his words, so I'm not quoting him verbatim. But uh, one of the things he said, or something along those lines, is that uh, he was thinking about just waking up one more one hour earlier, just one hour. You, and, and I think he said something to the extent of like, "What's just one hour, right? What's one hour?" And I thought, you know, I thought, yeah, you you have a really good point. That's a really good point. I could just wake up one hour early and pray. But then later after Sam left, I went to this passage and I saw that that's exactly what Jesus told Peter. He said, so could you not watch with me one hour? And so, you know, just to make it very practical for all of us, I would encourage you to say, to ask that question. What's one hour? Can I wake up one hour earlier? Or if you're a night owl, can I go to sleep one hour later and pray? Watch and pray so that I may not enter into temptation. Sleep is a beautiful gift that we have received from God. It is amazing. I love to sleep. And it's, a, it's a, um, you know, we need rest. It's the way that God created us. Unfortunately, sometimes we can make an idol out of sleeping. When, when sleep is keeping us from praying, then I think sleep has become, an, an, or not, maybe not the whole night, but some of that extra sleep, I think it has become an enemy. And so that, you know, that's just one really practical uh, thing that I wanted to throw there. And let me say, I'm preaching to myself here. I 
more often than I'd like to to recognize, I oversleep or don't necessarily wake that you know hour early to spend time in prayer. And I think that uh, all of us really need to realize we are in this battle and we absolutely need God's help and God's power. Then it also says that we do it with perseverance or with patience. And why do you think here that we need patience and perseverance for our prayer life? Well, a lot of the times God doesn't answer our prayers right away. Have you ever had to, um, have you ever had to call 911 during, during an emergency? Those five to 10 minutes of response time, they just feel like forever, right? You're just waiting and waiting. You know, if it's a true emergency, the reason why I say that is because we've called 911 a couple of times, but I don't know that I would categorize it as an emergency. I think it was like our neighbors walking around with a machete or something like that. But, you know, this is Aberdeen, so I don't know if that qualifies as as an emergency or just like, yeah, this is weird. We should should call the police. Uh, But I'm talking about like a real emergency where you really need the firefighters or the, the police to arrive. And it just feels like forever, right, when you're waiting. And so sometimes when we are praying to God, a lot of the times we need patience because God... A lot of the times he doesn't respond right away. And a lot of the times he doesn't respond the way that we would have wanted him to respond, right? A lot of the times we realize that the answer to our prayer is no, or the answer to our prayer is not yet, or the answer to our prayer is yes, but in this different way that I had already planned. And so when we are praying, we need patience. We need perseverance. We need to continue to pray over and over and over, I, I, you know, I'm reminded of the parable that Jesus told of the, of the widow that kept coming back to the king and her request was granted to her because of her, her persistence, right? Because of her perseverance. Now, it also says here that it is with supplication for all the saints. And so when we pray as a church, it is extremely important that we are praying for all of the church, for all of the saints. It is important to pray for the saints because Satan wants to see the saints destroyed. Satan wants to see the church fail. Satan wants to see the advance of the kingdom of God stuck. And, you know, as we, as we talked about it last week, Satan is very clever, he's very smart, and he's crafty, and he has schemes that he uses to deceive and to, and to sow division and to destroy the church. And so, for example, when you look at the book of Acts, which, by the way, we did a few years ago, when you look at the book of Acts, you have a sampler of a lot of Satan's schemes that he uses for attacking the church, right? If you think about it, this is the brand new church. The Holy Spirit has just descended upon the disciples And then immediately there is doubt about, are they speaking in tongues or are they drunk, right? So there is some doubt that that, that Satan is casting there. And then, you know, later as it begins to to progress and to grow, 
we see that there is division within the church because the Greeks and the Hebrews are worried that their widows are not being taken care of. But then, you know, God acts and they, they choose seven men to serve tables and that, that problem is resolved. But Satan is not happy with that. And so, I, actually, I think I skipped, I skipped one when, when Peter and another disciple, I cannot remember who, they are preaching the gospel and then the Jewish council asks them to stop. In fact, they put them in jail. And so there is, you know, there is uh, uh, opposition to the message of the church. And then we see that, all right, Satan has not been able to defeat the church through all of those things. So he's going to do it by sowing sin within the church. And so we see that, you know, everyone is selling their properties and everyone is giving their money to the church. And then come Ananias and Sapphira and they lie to the Holy Spirit. Right? And so Satan is trying to creep into the church. Satan wants to see the church destroyed. And then eventually, I think he probably kind of says, all right, none of this is working. So I'm going to send persecution for the whole church in Jerusalem that is started with the martyrdom of Stephen. And we see this happening in all of the Bible. I mean, we're, we're planning on preaching through the book of Genesis in, in a few weeks. And as we study the book of Genesis, you are going to see it, right? You're going to see how throughout the book of Genesis, we see that serpent, that crafty serpent, how it's trying to thwart God's plan over and over and over. And yet God is protecting his people and is protecting or, and is, you know, acting supernaturally to protect his people, the church. And we see the same in, in, in the gospels, you know, when Jesus is born and Herod tries to kill the, all of the babies and they have to flee to Egypt, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I'm getting a little bit off topic here. But the point is that Satan wants to destroy the church. And so we, as believers and as members of the church, our responsibility is to pray for all the saints, to make supplication for all the saints. We need to pray for the sick. We need to pray for those who are weak. We need to pray for those who are struggling. We need to pray for those who are in a position of leadership. We need to pray for those who are struggling with sin. It is so easy to judge those who are struggling with sin, but it's not that easy to pray for them. I mean, in fact, it's, it should be easier to pray for them, but, but our flesh wants to judge. Uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, Don Carson, has this quote that I really like. He says, all of us would be wiser if we would resolve never to put people down except on our prayer lists, right? So instead of putting people down, we should put them on our prayer list. We should be praying for our brothers and sisters because Satan wants to see the church destroyed. Now, what other things can we be praying for? Well, here's a couple, a couple other things. One kind of going off of the context before our passage and, and I already mentioned this, but I wanted to mention it again, is we need to pray for strength through the putting on of the armor. We need God's strength. I cannot emphasize this enough. Kaleo, we as a church, as a, as a corporate body and as individuals, we will not be able to accomplish anything for the kingdom of God apart from God's strength. We just 
do not have it in us. Whenever we try to accomplish something in our own strength, it's just not going to work. We need to pray for strength. And, you know, one of the things I mentioned is maybe one really amazing exercise to do would be in your own prayer time or even as a, as a you know, as a gathered church to pray through the armor of God, right? Through go, to go through every single one of the, of the pieces of the armor and just pray for those things, right? Pray for God to give us the belt of truth that is, you know, the truth of Jesus Christ and just go through all of the armor. Now, another thing that we should be praying for is the advance of the kingdom through the bold proclamation of the gospel. Notice what Paul says in verse 19. He says, and also pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We need to pray for the advance of the kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel, through the bold proclamation of the gospel. And here's a couple of things. One of them is we need to pray for all of us to have boldness, right? All of us are called to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. All of us are called to make disciples of all nations, All of us are called to be ambassadors of Christ. And so we need to pray for boldness for the whole church. And, and I think there's a really great example of that in, in Acts chapter 4. And if you want to turn there with me, that'd be great. Acts 4, verse 23. This is right after Peter and John were before the council the Jewish council, and they asked them to stop preaching the gospel. And this was the response of the church. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their hearts and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So the whole church, they were in a position where they faced a trial, they faced opposition to the gospel. And instead of retreating, they gathered together. And instead of saying, okay, let's organize a committee and let's, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Instead of coming up with worldly solutions, they came and they prayed. 
Because they knew that the thing that they needed the most was prayer. They knew that the thing that was the most effective was prayer. And I think that sometimes we forget about that. We think of all the other possible solutions and we forget that prayer is the most powerful thing that we can do. Prayer is, is the most powerful weapon that we have in this spiritual battle. So we need to pray for boldness for the proclamation of the gospel. Now, I do want to say something specific here. Paul is praying or Paul is asking the Ephesians to pray for him. Right? He says, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I think that we as a church need to identify those who have the gift of evangelism and to pray for them. Right? I, you know, first, yes, we pray for all of us because ultimately all of us are called to preach the gospel. But at the same time, you know, like we saw in, in chapter four, God gave to the church uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so we need to recognize that God has gifted some people within the church with the gift of evangelism. And so we need to, we need to identify those people and pray for them. Paul was an evangelist. Yes, he was an apostle. He was the apostle Paul, but he was an evangelist as well, right? When they were in the church in Antioch, the Holy Spirit set Paul apart with a few others to go out as missionaries. And so the church identified him. The church got together and prayed for them and sent them on their way. And then every time that Paul made one of the around on his missionary journeys, he would, book, he would go back to the church in Antioch, which was his sending church, and they would pray for him. And so we need to identify those in our church who are, who are uh, uh, evangelists and pray for them. And I think, you know, right now, I would say Simon and Sandra very clearly have been set aside to be evangelists, right? I'm not saying that they're the only ones. I'm sure there are others as well. But right now, I, I'm just amazed to see the work that God is doing. And so I think we really, really need to pray for Simon and Sandra. In fact, I would say um, at some point, I, I can't think exactly when, maybe, maybe after this sermon, we can just get together and, and, and pray for them. Uh, and then we, we can continue with our normal service. But, you know, I just, I, I really think that it is important for us to identify those who have the gift of evangelism and, and pray for them that they would be able to proclaim the gospel with boldness. Think about Paul. Why would Paul be asking for boldness? Was it easy for him every time he preached the gospel? What was the response that he received when he preached the gospel? He was stoned, right? He was left for dead. Like the people that stoned him, they actually thought that they had killed him. That's how bad it was. Um, what, did, what did you say, Michael? Yeah, yeah, lynching. They, they, it was, there was always persecution, right? There was always opposition. Like I imagine Paul going to the next synagogue and saying, all right, I really hope this synagogue is better than the last one because the last one didn't like my message. But I'm also thinking, well, maybe at some point he just accepted that he was going to receive or, or he was going to be rejected in a lot of the places that he went to. And I think that's why he is asking for boldness. That's why he is asking that God would give him the words to open his mouth. 
Many of us need the, you know, the words to, to proclaim. But I think that there are people with the gift of evangelism that find themselves always in those situations, right? Who cannot help themselves, but be in situations where they need to open their mouths with the word of the gospel. And we need to pray for boldness for them. And of course, Paul was in prison when he was writing this. He didn't think, oh, great, I'm, I'm on, on furlough, right? I'm in prison, so I don't have to worry about anything. No, why do we struggle to pray? And I have a couple of things that I want to say just to, to, to end here on why I think we struggle to pray. One of them is it, it may be that we're struggling in our faith, right? If we truly believe that God to quote Ephesians here, if we truly believe that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, we would prioritize prayer, right? If we truly believe that God can do way more than we ask, way more than we think, according to his power, not our power, but the power of God, then we would prioritize prayer. But maybe it is that we're struggling with our faith. Maybe it is that we don't think that prayer is as powerful as we say it is. So think about this. If God can do whatever he wants, if he can do far more abundantly than we ask or think, we should be praying for all things. We should be praying for the kingdom of God to come like Jesus instructed us to do. So we should be praying for the advance of the kingdom. We should be praying for the healing of those sick among us. We should be praying for the salvation of our neighbors. We should be praying for the salvation of the homeless community and everyone else on the harbor. We should be praying for the salvation of those who are hearing the gospel in, in Mexico through the, through the missionaries that we have. We should be praying for all things because we believe that God is powerful and able to do far more than we ask or think. Now, the other reason that I'd like to suggest for why we struggle to pray is because maybe we are not very familiar with God's peace, love, and grace. What do I mean by that? Well, Look at the last two verses in, in this letter. It says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from Christ the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. These are often the words that Paul uses to open his letters and to finish his letters, right? And these are not just nice words, you know, nice values that he thought of. And he's like, all right, yeah, I'm just going to include love here and peace and blah, blah, blah. No, these, if you have, you know, if we've been paying attention, he has been talking about these things all over the letter. But I think that sometimes we struggle to pray or we struggle in our prayer life because we are not as familiarized or acquainted with God's peace. In other words, maybe we're struggling with guilt. Maybe we're struggling with feeling like there is still enmity between us and God. But if you truly believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you from your sins, if you truly believe that God was the one that sent Jesus to die on the cross to bring reconciliation between you and him, then why would we, why would we not approach God? 
He is the one that initiated that process of reconciliation. He wants a relationship with us, his creatures. Jesus accomplished peace between God and us. But I think sometimes we struggle with just feeling guilty, feeling defeated by our sins. The reason, one of the reasons I mentioned this is because I used to struggle with this so much. I mean, to the point that sometimes, you know, people would ask me to pray publicly and I'd have to say, you know, a silent prayer in my mind, asking God for forgiveness for something that I had already asked forgiveness for five, 10 times. Why? Because I was struggling to believe that there was already peace between God and I. I was struggling to believe that if I confess my sins, he is righteous and faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all evil, wickedness. I think we also struggle to pray because maybe sometimes we don't think about the love of God for us. In Ephesians 2, verse 4, Paul is talking about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but then listen to what he says about God's love for us. He said, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We need to remember that one of the reasons God saved us was his love. This is not to deny that he saved us for his glory and that, you know, he gets all the glory when he saves us. This is not to deny any of that, but we need to remember. And I think we often forget that God saved us simply because he loves us. And that is incredible. And so when you realize that God loves you, when you realize that God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you, then that should give you the motivation to come to him in prayer, to approach him in prayer. And then finally, he saved us by his grace, not by our own merit, not by anything good that we did. We were not able to gain our own salvation or to earn it, but it was by the grace of God. It was an unmerited gift that he gave to us. And so when we understand this, when we understand the peace that we have with God, when we understand the love that God has for us, when we understand the grace through which we have been saved, then we are going to approach the throne of God with boldness and with confidence. Yes, with respect, with fear, with trembling, but knowing that Jesus has already gained access for us to the throne of grace. And so my encouragement for all of us as a church, and, and like I said, this, is, this message is as much, if, if not more for me than for anyone else. But my encouragement is that all of us as a church, we would be a church that prays. We would be a church that, that would put on the armor of God through praying and watching. That we wouldn't dare to do anything or to make any decisions or to try to accomplish any endeavors without having prayed and asking for God's strength and God's guidance and God's wisdom. 
and just declaring how much we need him.